Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck! The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a very special edition of Between the Links here on MMAFighting.com. Hope you're all having a wonderful week. I am recording this from my hotel room in beautiful, scenic Jacksonville, Florida, the site of UFC 273. Just got back from the UFC 273 press conference. Schedules are a little crazy right now. We wanted to do something, and who better to do something with and just throw a Hail Mary up but the one and only, the winningest player in the history of BTL, the now former BTL champion, Mr. Jed Mishu. Jed, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. I love not having the pressure of, of a competitive week in BTL. Just get to come and talk some fights with you. You're on scene in in the beautiful Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, you know, just just a good week. It's just a good week, and the two seventy three press conference. So i I wanted to kind of get your gauge on the card itself because, as it was before, when we had Gastelum on there and we had Drickus Duplessis on there and some of these other fights, this card was really, really good. And that was like a that fight, especially at one eighty five, added just a little extra sizzle to the steak. So I felt like when that fight was lost. There was a small collective who was like, yeah, this is still a good card, but maybe it's not as good as we once thought it was. I didn't necessarily buy that. I still had that like UFC 199 vibe to it where maybe some people are looking ahead to the May card with some of the things that were lost. And maybe they're going to make a decision on whether or not to buy this one or save their save their money and buy the Oliver Gaethje card and the two title fights that Phoenix won. But I don't know, man. This one has that 199 feeling where... People might be torn. There might be people on the fence here, even with Shamayev and Burns, which we'll talk about that in a minute. But I feel like this will be one of those cards that if you don't get it, you're going to regret not getting it. I've had that feeling. And since I arrived in Jacksonville, that feeling continues to grow. And every day that we're here in all these different events, the media day, the press conference, 
I feel even stronger about that. I feel like this card is going to deliver in a big way. What's sort of your 48 hours away notion, your thoughts on this card? Like, do you feel like this is a 199S card, or do you think it's actually better than that? You know, it's a really good question. Uh, I think it's probably not better, right? Or, or it, maybe it's in the same vein. Uh, it's just a really interesting card for a lot of reasons for me. Like, one, I think the undercard is mostly bad. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you. It's the early <laughs> prelims. I think are are bad. Like, I'm not. I am just not that interested in anything that's happening in the early prelims. Um, it would be at least a fun moment if Alexei Olenek finally got his 60th career win over Jared Vanderaw. I think that's also very possibly loses just one of the worst fights of the year. <laughs> so like <laughs> the one thing on the early prelims that could be good is potentially just terrible. I mean, Kay Hansen's fighting. Kay Hansen's a fun fighter, but there's just not a lot to hang your hat in there. And then the prelim, like the ESPN regular prelim is okay. It's, it's like a perfectly fine. I have no issues with that. Um, but it it also doesn't speak to me. I think that would be better if we hadn't lost Kelvin Gastelum, Driscus de Plessis. Um, I feel like we, we some other fights fell off this card too. I just can't think of uh, what they were before that. Um, yeah, so it was it was that oh, one. Sabatini Tucker would have been a good fight. Yeah, I mean, really Gaslam was supposed to fight Nasruddin Imovov. Like, what? That was a great like boost fight for him potentially yeah. for for Imovov. Yeah, but when that that one that that one was before the the DDP, right? DDP came in as a replacement for Imov. So DD, DDP was supposed to fight Chris Curtis, and then that's right, that's right. Chris that's Curtis was out of the fight. And Anthony Hernandez was supposed to fight Albert Dureyev. Albert Dureyev was out of the fight, so they matched Hernandez and Duplessis up, and then Gasolum lost Imovov, so they moved DDP to Gasolum, and then they moved Hernandez shit. to Josh Fremd, who makes his UFC debut after getting a contract on looking for a fight. So, yeah, a lot of changes, especially at 185, and after all that, Drinkus Duplessis, who has had all these different opponents, is not even fighting. He's not even fighting. Yeah, and if, if any of those had come through, I think the card would gotten a little bit of a boost for me. But realistically, this is a main card you should buy if you're interested in fighting. I just think that there's a world where this this is going to be a fight card that does exactly what it says it's going to do, right? Like, that's where I come down. Because the three big fights are very good, very important super relevant fights that you should be paying attention to and that I am excited to watch all of them. I also feel extremely confident in the outcomes of all three of these. So it's not interesting in the same way. I am excited to watch it because I'm a fan of the sport and that's what we do. Like these are the moments we're here for. I get to watch Alexander Volkanovsky, who for my money is a, one of the five best fighters in the world and is arguably actually the best fighter in the world. He just doesn't have the resume to claim that top spot. I get to watch him go to work against the legend of the game. That's great. But again, like all three of the big fights to me are predetermined outcomes. So there's no interest in, well, I don't know how this is going to look or what's going to happen here. It's like, I really know exactly how these fights are going to go. But at the same time, this is high level mixed martial arts at the absolute pinnacle of the sport. I'm, I'm always going to be here for that. And I think that this is, I'll, I'll straight up 274 is a better card as it stands right now 
There's also a month, so there's a lot of opportunity for that thing to go sideways in a hurry. But I think both this card and 274 are worth your pay-per-view dollars. Maybe just don't tune in for the early prelims on this one. I'm going to disagree with you on the early prelims. I mean, the, the I do agree with you on the the Olenek Vandera could it's got to go one of two ways. Either Olenek is going to get that 60th win and get it impressively, and Jose Youngs can finally use that graphic. him in the first three minutes where he loses an awful decision. Yes. So that would be a cool moment, but Vandera, yes. If this fight gets extended, Vandera could very well win, and if he does win, it's probably not going to be pretty. I will say the other three fights are really good. Like, Pierre, Pierre Rodriguez is is a good fighter, and Kay Hansen is, is never really in a boring fight. Julio Arce, Daniel Santos is going to be absolute chaos. These two are just going to get after it. Daniel Santos is just a spinning shit machine, and it's just super fun. And then Anthony Hernandez is always in fun fights, and Josh Frem's really good, too. This is his UFC debut. It's a little bit short notice for him, but this guy just goes in there and just finishes people. He's really talented. He's a really good fighter. I, I actually like the early prelims. They, they're not, are they the sexiest names? Probably not. But this, when it comes to just matchmaking, it's pretty good. Sure. This this is the early prelims of a fight night card, not of a pay-per-view. And that's yeah. it. Like that's, and the, that's sort of the thing where we're at with a lot of pay-per-views these days is they start, they all look like this now. Mostly it's, you know, you're not buying the card, right? You're buying five fights at the top. And so the rest of it just, they have really gone top heavy over the last couple of years. Increasingly not nearly as many stacked cards deep down with names and ranked people, but you know, it's free and it's on ESPN. Or it's free if you have ESPN Plus. Uh, I'm sorry, I have no idea what our foreign listeners how that works for them. But it's free for me because I own ESPN Plus and would independent of the UFC. So, and I'm I'm working, so I will watch them because I have to. But I would in no way tell people that this is must see television on on Saturday, especially whenever this is going to start. The Masters will still probably be going on. Do things with your family. You know, tune in to MMAfighting.com, greatest website in the world. We'll keep you updated on anything fun that happens. And then you just roll around, you know, 9 p.m. for the end of the, the regular prelims. Get that, get the juices flowing, and then you go right into that pay-per-view main card, which, again, really good. The pay-per-view is really good, I think. I, I like the pay-per-view a lot. And we'll, we'll, let's just get right to the top here. we get Alexander Volkanovsky versus the Korean Zombie. The betting lines, this seems to be a big discussion. Again, I think it's been explained pretty well, not just from New York Rick and Connor and, and Ariel on the MMA Hour, but I spoke with John Anik. John Anik talked about it at the press conference, what betting lines look like. It's not like there's two dudes sitting in a room saying and just debating what these lines should be. It's put out so we can get action on both sides. It just seems that the favorites are just getting 99% of the action right now. It's pretty crazy. But Alexander Volkanovsky, massive favorite over the Korean Zombie. And rightfully so, I think. I think Volkanovski doesn't get the respect he deserves. I think he's actually better. And I was telling Anik this earlier. I actually, we talk about the greatest rankings in MMA, the MMA Fighting Global Rankings. I have Volkanovski, 100%. I have Volkanovski number four pound for pound. And I actually feel bad about that. Like, I feel like he could be higher. I understand that, like, you can make arguments for Usman and you can make arguments for out of... I mean, Usman's number one, in my opinion. I, I think that's not a debate, at least right this second. Mm. Then you got Nganu, and then I have... Who's the other? I have Israel Adesanya, and then I have Volkanovski number four. 
but it's very close. Like, I could see myself... Like, if Volkanovski goes out there and does what many believe he will do and beat Green Zombie, you could pop him up a spot or two, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel crazy about that at all. But at, on the same token, the thing I was really looking at heading into this fight was how was the Korean Zombie going to look at Media Day? How was he going to look at the press conference? Was he going to seem a little stressed out? Was he going to... You know, not smile and roll with it. He's doing the exact opposite. He is loose as a goose. He's having fun. He's shitting on the sponsor, Monster, to put over his own energy drink. He's taking Monster bottles and flipping them on the ground, turning them upside down. I thought that, I thought he was great at the press conference. People helping people. He's trying to, to help out an entire community, find mixed martial arts. Like, this is a fight between two guys, two baby faces. You don't want to see either of these guys lose. But I got to tell you, Korean Zombie and his mental state, the way he is approaching this fight from that perspective, I've been really impressed with him. I really have been. Have you noticed that as well? Sure. I mean, he's playing with house money, right? Like, I think, I'm sure he always thought he'd get back to a title fight. But somewhere deep down inside, he has to know that he's 35. His best years are behind him. Um he had already lost to kind of the gatekeeper to the top at this point, right? With Ortega um, and Rodriguez, like he, he had clearly kind of met a limit of where he was going to. And the only way he's going to get back to a title fight is if things broke really well for him. Um, and that's what happened. Like he, he, you gotta be lucky and you gotta be able to take advantage of your luck in life and especially in fight sport. And so he's getting a, another title fight i don't even know how many years it was since the aldo one that has to be close to a decade right like like 2013 i think it was 2013 yeah 2014 something like that like yeah like he's this house money should be coming in here uh loose and excited and you know just he he did not expect himself to be in this position at least not this soon and he is and so he can soak it all up and enjoy probably gonna get his ass whooped but you know He's a professional fighter. That's what he. That's what he does. He gets beat up professionally. So, so there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I do just want to circle back very briefly. Uh, we don't need to talk about it. I have Israel Adesanya as my number one ranked pound for pound fighter right now, but uh, over Usman. But we don't need to get into that because the thing I would like to say is, I think Volkanovski is probably the best fighter in the world, if factoring in purely like the composite skills that he possesses. Like, I think that he is so good at everything and more to the point, I think he is so good at recognition and his fight IQ is so high and he's able to make not just in fight adjustment, but in round adjustments better than maybe anybody else that's competing today. Uh, that he is just like, he is unbelievably skilled and talented. And the only reason I don't rank him as my top pound for pound fighter is I I do pound for pound on basically a scoring system. <laughs> so like I, I tally up points based on how many top five, top 10, top 15 wins you have, et cetera. And Volkanovsky only has the three top five wins, you know, um, the two Holloways and the Ortega. This win will still put him behind the big three of Usman, Adesanya and, and Nganu, but he is knocking on the door. And I think he pro like, honestly, I just think he is probably better as a, you know, traditional view of what pound for pound is than any other fighter in the world. If he goes out there and finishes Korean zombie, because anyone we have this, anyone I've had this discussion with, 
agrees with everything you just said. Like, skill for skill, this guy might be the best fighter in the world. But a lot of people feel like he's just lacking finishes. He hasn't had a finish in a while. And people think, like, once he starts getting... Because that's what happened with Usman, right? Usman was just running off decisions, winning titles. Even, like, de- in his defenses, he was getting decisions. The Mazadal fight, the first one, did not age very well. But once he started finishing guys people viewed him in a different way. And you could say the same thing about Habib Nurmagomedov because he was getting a lot of decision wins along the way too, but then he won the undisputed title and then his defenses, he's just running through guys, like making it look easy, submitting them, putting them away. And then as as those finishes continue to come, the conversation about him being the best fighter in the world just became easier and easier to have. Do you think things change in the popular view of pound for pound? If he goes out there and finishes Korean zombie on Saturday? Probably. I'm not sure it changes in the fact that, like, he might move up one spot above Nganu just because heavyweights tend to get docked public perception points in a pound-for-pound, like, conversation. But, I mean, he's not going to supplant Usman or Adesanya in, like, the broader public sense. But, yeah, finishes are better, certainly, from a broader how, – how good is this guy, like – there's a reason everybody's stoked on Hamza Chimaev, and it's because he's blowing the doors off people, right? Like, I think that there's a strong argument that finishes actually have almost no correlation how good somebody is, <laughs> but um, because it's it's like really difficult to dominate someone for 25 minutes, <laughs> but uh, anybody can kind of knock people out quickly if things break right for them. Uh, but I think certainly if he can go out and start adding finishes to his resume, that's going to boost. Everybody's going to be much more stoked on him. I don't think he can though. I just, I just don't think that's, that's not really who he is as a fighter. It's not part of his game. If, if the opportunities exist, he will take them, but he's not like an astonishingly big hitter. He is not like a predatory submission threat. He is just better. (laughs) And like, he is just better at all of the pieces and stitching them to, together in a way to outclass his opponent. So I, I doubt he'll get a finish over TKZ. Uh, but if he does, that will certainly boost him for most people. I'm very curious to see what Zombie's game plan is going to be. Like, I'm very curious because his team, not that, I mean, you talk to any coaches and any teammates and things like that. And, you know, you hear the same things. I'm confident this person will win, yada, yada, yada. Eddie Cha and company, they are, I mean, they are super duper confident that Zombie's going to go in there and win. It's like they have a secret that they're not telling anybody. They have that attitude, and it's really interesting to me. And it's also, I, I take this into account too. I don't think this is the case, but if Volkanovski goes out there and just like 50 45 Zombie, this could be it for him. Like he's talked about walking away a couple of times. He's, he's not a spring chicken anymore when it comes to this sport. It'll be very difficult for him to get back to another title fight. Not saying it could never happen, but it's going to be a very long road or things are really going to have to fall into place in the right ways. This could be it, man. Like, there's a very good chance that if he goes out there and just gets the doors blown off him, this could be the final Korean zombie fight. So there are a lot of stakes here for both guys. I feel like Volkanovski can win this one uh, and probably will. But I think betting lines and, and all that, like, I think this one could be aligned a little bit closer. Although I do feel like Volkanovski is the better fighter. But I... I feel like this could be lined a little closer, but that's just me. But again, that's not, that's nobody's fault. It's just the way the public is perceiving this fight. And that's why they're betting the way they're betting. I I think the lines can be further apart. I'm <laughs> no kidding. Eight, 
He's minus 720 right now. It's an 88% win probability. They fought. They fight 10 times. I think Volk at least wins nine. Um, like I, I think, I think the odds are either correct or probably still not. Because again, if you're talking about odds, the idea is to get action, as we mentioned, on both sides. And once the line juices like that, like the plus money is still high, but it's not. You, they, they create a much bigger vig for the casinos to have that buffer. So the comeback on on uh, TKZ is only plus 500. I'm not laying plus 500 for him. Like that's just not. You want if you juice that up to plus 800, okay, maybe I'm starting to get a little interested in it. But plus 500, no, no chance. That's not. It's not nearly the value for the probabilities that are going on at play here. That's the main event. That's how we're going to close the show. We'll see if Volkanovski can take another step towards greatness. He's very, very close to to, to sitting at that greatest, table, in my opinion. Greatest featherweight of all time. <laughs> Why not? Max was for no reason. Joe Rogan just anointed him, and Volk beat Max twice, so he's the greatest featherweight ever. Over under on how many times Joe Rogan says that on Saturday? I hope he does because he hasn't said it before, and that annoys me. Because he just deemed Max was the GOAT, which is idiotic and obviously not true to anyone with a functioning brain. Um, I've written about this dozens of times on the site, and I even sarcastically wrote Alexander Volkanovsky is the greatest featherweight of all time after he won the title for Max. <laughs> because, like, it's, it, but he hasn't done it for Volk. He's just been like, yeah, Volk's really good. <laughs> oh, he beat Max twice. It's great. It's, he beat the GOAT twice. Like, I hope he does. I hope he gets on board because uh, it's no more ridiculous than when he anointed Max. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's super fun. It's it's and a props super fun. to props to Volk because Volk knows that it's ridiculous too. You saw him say earlier this week that you know, like he knows that that's dumb. He knows yes. that he's not the goat yet. And that's the right attitude to have. That's the right attitude to have. I have I have work to do. And I like I like how Volkanovski's kind of going back to the Volkanovski that got him to the dance. Like he's uncomfortable talking trash. It's just not his thing. He did it, and if he needs to, he'll do it again. He did say that, but even with the whole Max thing and the tweet of, you know, you know, him running away or being scared or all that stuff. And he he regrets that tweet very much. He's just like, eh, that's when things really turned to me that turned for him that he needed to go back to just going in there and winning fights. That's the most important thing. It's not about tra- talking trash and it's about being, it's about being Alexander, the great Volkanovsky. And at the end of the day, when you're acting like yourself, that's just the way you got to do it. Right. You know that better yeah, than anybody. Man. Yeah. It's being a fighter. Like everyone has started trash talking and it's the Conor McGregor effect. You just, it doesn't work. Right. People see, I think that people are largely stupid. Like, that that men in black quote is like one of my favorite quotes ever. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, panicky animals, and you know it. I think that this is like an unbelievably apt quote for the world. But for the many foibles that people have, like writ large, they're usually really good at recognizing when someone's just full of crap. Not all the time, but like. <laughs> You can just sort of inherently know when someone's putting you on. And it's it's why Colby Covington's shtick only works in the loosest sense. <laughs> like, it's because it's obviously like an entirely fabricated persona. Chael had like a very fabricated per- persona, but he also was just turning the dial up on, on who he is naturally. And that's where you have to do. You just be yourself and maybe crank it to 11. 
Like, that's it. And Volk was going so out of character, and it was obviously ridiculous and weird, and it just doesn't work. Just be yourself, and if you have the sort of personality that you can amplify it, then do that, because bigger is better. But don't don't get out of pocket with it, because it's just never going to work. So you're saying be, Col- be like Colby Covington? Because I know how much you, no. you enjoy his trash talk. Look, I could turn... I've, I've been saying it for years. <laughs> I could turn that man's career around... You gave me an hour with him, I could fix him because there's there's stuff to work with there. Just none of it is the stuff that he uses ever. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Speaking of stuff to work with here, I got to tell you, obviously, we're going to talk about the the fight everybody seems to be the most excited about. It's not the two title fights. It's Hamza Jemaya versus Gilbert Burns. We'll get, we'll, get, we'll, get to, we'll get to that in a minute. I will say this. The Piotr Jan Aljamain Sterling thing, like, I I went into this fight, like, I was interested in it, but I think I was more interested in the fight happening so it could be done with, we could move on with our lives. But I gotta tell you, since I've been here, no fight has actually interested me more. Like, if we're looking at where the dial was when I got to Jacksonville, to where it is now, it is way bigger for me, for this fight in particular. I think... Both guys are doing a tremendous job building it up. I love how Aljamain Sterling is playing the heel and he's running with it and he's just having a damn good time with it. I loved how he brought the props to the press conference. I love how he's getting booed out of the building and said the right things. Brought the Jaguars helmet and some of the people actually got back on his side. So I actually think they've done a tremendous job building this fight. Between Monday and right now, it is Thursday evening as we record this. Has your interest in this fight peaked a l- more so? Like, do you f- are you more intrigued by this fight now than you were maybe four or five days ago? I've actually gone the other way, and I, really? I recognize that I'm 
I'm going to be the outlier here because I think most people are probably in your camp. Uh, certainly on the face of it, Aljamain and, and Fiorian have done done the things to make people interested. And especially like at the presser earlier today, I'm not saying that everybody was a, was a board of wood, <laughs> but like they were the two that were doing the most all the time, especially Aljo. Aljo was really trying to, to do things, um, which is good. Like that's, it's a good thing. I have some questions about how comfortable he actually is playing the heel. Um, you know, we just talked about turning up your natural personality and I'm not entirely sure that this is who Aljo naturally is, but he is projecting because he spent a year taking a rash of crap and is just, there's no other way for him to handle it because he can't not be bothered by it. So he's trying to lean into it. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. I'm just less interested in this fight because I watched the tape on it. And for like the past, I don't know, a few months in my head, I have believed that Aljamain Sterling can win this fight. Uh, Cause I think the first fight, obviously we all saw what happened, but I think Aljamain did not get enough credit for his early rounds. I thought he was pretty really competitive in the first two rounds, frankly, and things went downhill quickly. And so in my head, when I was kind of thinking about this fight, I was like, okay, he was competitive fighting a, probably a bad way. And he, now he's going to know the things he needs to work on. He just needs to make some adjustments. But he does have the raw physical tools to give Piotr Jan problems. He's really long. He can work a jab, keep Piotr away. He's a, a as good uh, a grappler as Piotr Jan. Potentially better, but I'm not entirely sure. Like, he, he has avenues to make this a messy, harder fight for Piotr than Piotr's, not, frankly, that used to. But as I watch tape, I realize that he's not going to do that. Like, there's, it's just not an option for him. It's it's not the way Aljamain Sterling fights. He he really needs his wrestling to work to win a fight. Um, like, that is, like, a fundamental aspect to his game. And Piotr Jan's a very good defensive wrestler. He stuffed, like, all of the takedown attempts from Aljo in that first battle. Uh, and when he's not getting... Aljamain's biggest problem is like when his plan A isn't working, when the things he wants to effectuate aren't going, he he doesn't panic, but he gets really busy. He makes some bad choices. And so like you saw that in the first fight, when he wasn't getting those takedowns, he wasn't he's not comfortable like standing in a pure striking battle. He's not uncomfortable, but he feels an urge to fill space. And so he threw like 60 strikes or something in that first round. Uh, and that's not a pace he can keep up, especially because a lot of them are like jumping knees and stuff. And so it was great. And it helped him win the, that first round and be competitive through the second. But he he can't keep that pace up. And Piotr Jan can go all day. And he's one of those guys who gets stronger as he builds. So I just don't see a way this fight doesn't end with Sterling having a good first round or two and then slowly succumbing to the snowball that is Piotr Jan's offense. So I'm less interested because I actually just watch tape and feel like I know what's going to go on in this fight. But again, A-plus mixed martial arts, the two best bantamweights in the world fighting, sign me up for that every day of the week. I'm with it. Like, Aljo, it's... it's. I feel like Aljo has a, has a chance to win. I mean, it's just... Here's... I think his path to victory is not a big one. But if he can find the Bryce Mitchell in him, he's got a chance to win. It's not easy to do, 
especially when you coming you're you're coming off of an of an injury in the surgery that he is coming off of. It took a long time for him to get back. The guy is in tremendous shape. He's probably in the best shape of his entire career. And I don't know if it's just because, you know, the time off, he just spent that time wisely, and it's basically just uh, just, just making things happen. But if he can go in there and just chain takedowns together, like not just give up on the first one, if he can get Jan against the fence and just go and go and go, and if Jan gets up, he takes him down again. Like if he finds that, that inner Colby Bryce Mitchell – I think he's got a chance to win, but if he doesn't do that, if he can't do that for 25 minutes, he's gonna have a he's gonna have a hard time because, like you said, Jan, Jan gets better. That computer system, the RAM on it, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and faster and more powerful. This guy gets it. He's really good, and he gets better as the fight goes on. At the same time, if Aljo is in as great a shape as he is, and he's preparing to do what he is saying publicly saying he is going to do he's got a chance he's got a chance so would you be shocked what would be a more shocking result to you korean zombie beating alexander volkanovsky or aljamain sterling beating peter Jan? Mm, i think it still has to be aljo i korean zombie is would shock me because but I see the avenue for him, right? I mean, I see an avenue for Aljo, but it, I think it's even more narrow. For Zombie, the the Zombie-Volk fight is basically Volk-Ortega. It just, like, slightly tweaked. Like, Zombie and Ortega are very similar fighters, not in the techniques they use necessarily, but in that they are both high, high offense, like, not great round-winning fighters historically. They just have extreme offense that they can turn on in a blink, which is actually the way you have to beat Alexander Volkanovsky. I've said it for some time. Max Holloway spent 50 minutes with him and couldn't, couldn't consistently take rounds from him. And if Max Holloway can't take rounds from you, um, no one can. That, that's, that's just it. Like no one is going to win rounds against you if Max Holloway can't do it. So the way to beat Volk is going to be just some hyper offense out of nowhere. Uh, and TKZ has that. I, I still don't think it's going to happen, but I can see that, especially Volk's 33 or 34 now. You know, maybe he starts to fall off a little bit. But for Aljo, I think, honestly, the only way – I don't think he can chain takedowns for 20 – I think he has to go in all gas, no breaks. He has to do a full five-minute gamble, hulk up, and just throw everything in five minutes. None of it striking. He needs to not come and do that 50 strikes a minute. He needs to grab a waist and go full-blown big brother and try and Corey Sandhagen him, him because he is not going to win rounds. He's not going to win this fight deep. But if maybe Jan comes out a little slow or Jan's over, uh, uh, um, overestimating himself because of how that first fight went and he can just – truck Jan down, get the back, and get an early finish while they're still dry. That's his path to victory, but that's such a narrow window. I think it would be more likely that TKZ upsets Volk. I know it's kind of become a, a cliche question on these shows, but I think for this fight in particular, it, it, it merits it being asked. Who's Who's got more pressure in this fight? Like, who needs this one more? Because you can make a strong argument for both guys. Like, Aljamain Sterling has a lot to prove to a lot of people. The way he won the title, 
deep down, he's not happy about it, but everyone just kind of turned him into the guy that just, like you said, has to accept it and you have to go off of it and just go full, fully all in on it. And I actually respect the hell out of him for doing that. I think that was actually the right thing to do, and he did it. But Piotr Jan, the way that first fight went, the, the way people are viewing this fight, most people feel, and he's he's the baby face. He is the baby face in this situation. Not Aljamain Sterling, the American. Piotr Jan is the guy who has the support of the of the Jacksonville crowd. It was it was pretty interesting to see at the press conference today. But like, who needs to win this one more? Who has more pressure to win on Saturday? Is it Aljamain Sterling, the current champion, looking to get a in a lot of people's mind, a legitimate win. I know not in your mind. This was a legitimate win for you because Piotr Jan broke the rules, but in the eyes of other people, maybe not so much. Or is it more on Piotr Jan to, because he was winning that first fight, and most people feel like he's the better fighter. Who's got the more pressure? Who needs to win this one more in your eyes? Sterling, no question. I mean, for a lot of reasons, You, but like, he is just, he has obviously put the pressure on himself if nothing else. I think he would have that pressure anyway. All of that, all the stuff you said, I think all that's there. But he has basically come into this fight week, for better or worse, saying the world are a bunch of assholes and stupid. And I'm about to shove it in y'all's face. I mean, when he was on the MMA Hour this week, he did the thing with Ariel and was like, hey, uh, come Saturday, I'm either going to be eating a lot of crow or everybody else is going to be. One, it's one way or the other, and he has only continued to one-up that as the week has gone on with everything he's done. And look, as a man who talks a healthy amount of crap myself, <laughs> you get backed into a corner and you're, you're going to need to perform or you're going to need to just take it on the chin. And he, he has backed himself into a mighty sturdy corner here. So outside of the rest of it, you know, Jan's younger than him. Jan, in the eyes of many, already beat him once. So there's a viable trilogy fight down the road if Jan loses this one, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I just think everything Sterling has done this week and, and leading up to this has been, he has not minimized the pressure. He has just compacted it. And look, if he's right, if he knows something we don't and he goes and, and does the damn thing, then do your dance, son. Get up on that. Get on top of the cage and tell everybody to stuff it, because there will not be a person in MMA who deserves to have that moment more than him for everything he suffered and and what he's done this week. But if he's wrong, he should straight up delete his Twitter. Like I'm not even joking. If he is incorrect, he should delete all of his social media accounts and not just not say like go go full zero dark 30 man like you can't be around if you get done up by Piotr Jan again like this is not going to be good for your mental state uh anybody around you is all bad so that's 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 just it yeah a lot of people are ready to turn the page and just move this rivalry into the back burner I'm like I, I've, I've actually liked what's happened this week between these two guys, and I hope someday we do get to see a third fight, regardless of what happens on Saturday. I feel like it, it, at the end of both of their careers, these are going to be, like, Sterling will be Jan's like, greatest rival. Jan will be Sterling's greatest rival. When they're both writing autobiographies, there's going to be multiple chapters about the other in this story because they've done a lot to kind of, in a weird way, like, put the other fighter over and, and, and make them, you know, 
make people interested in some way or another, whether it's you want to see Aljo get beat or you want to see Jan get beat. Like people are, are more interested in this fight than they were maybe the first one, if we're being honest, from what has been done this week. The disrespect to Magomed Magomedov for Piotr Jan. I know. Greatest right? rival. Greatest rival. Magomed Magomedov. He and, they already, they've already split two. Also in a fight where Piotr Jan did a very dumb fight dumb thing illegally and got either one or two points to talk to and lost a split decision. Yep. So there you go. I mean, that was great rivalry too, but the one that's more known obviously is, is this one, but that I mean, is also not, a good rivalry. Also, you, you don't think, you don't think Sean O'Malley's is going to kind of rise up the ranks and give Piotr Jan a, a trilogy for the ages. I mean, you gotta, <laughs> you, you, you gotta pay the man. You gotta pay the man to get those kinds of fights. Who knows? At this point, the way the, the way O'Malley's being built, it'll be like 2028 before we see him fight Piotr Jan. It is loud here in Jacksonville. We got helicopters flying over the hotel. I mean, listen to this. You are getting in, in, some ambiance here. It's just uh, a lot of bridges. There's a music festival going on across the river. I mean, there's just there's just so much going on. Jacksonville is amped up this week. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Let's talk about the big one, Hamzat Shemaev versus Gilbert Burns, because I was telling Jose this earlier when we were doing our press conference reaction podcast. I didn't think I could be any more excited for this fight. I thought I peaked probably Monday or Tuesday. I was like, there's no way I can get more interested in this fight. Then the press conference happens, and I'm actually more interested now. For like, I'm... Somehow I've gotten over the hump even more so with how fascinated I am by this fight because what fascinates you, Mike? I, ha I just the questions like I think I think Shemaev's the real deal, but it's still and, and the other thing about Shemaev is and I asked Anik about this earlier. 
Have we ever? I asked him if we've ever seen anything like Shemaev in the UFC. Like that. Oh, that was yeah. my thought because we've seen guys emerge quickly, right? We've seen like we've seen Conor McGregor. I, I feel like Conor is is sort of the prime example because that dude came on the scene, got shot out of a rocket. Patty's kind of in that way, but I don't view them the same. Maybe Ian Gary someday, but I don't view them the same. I think Conor was obviously farther along in terms of skill and, and how fast they wanted to push him. But every win Connor got, despite what he did, there were still like built-in excuses. There were questions. There were, you know, well, he hasn't fought a wrestler yet. Oh, he hasn't fought this guy yet. What's he going to do with a, with a Southpaw? You know, he's not going to do well with them. Like every win he got, there were more questions. Hamza Chemaev, people like after, I, I remember doing like post-fight shows. Hamza Chemaev, after like the first and second fight, after that first fight island trip, people were ready to throw Hamza into a title fight. Like they were ready to throw him a top five guy right then and there. They felt that this dude was the real deal, that he was a once in a life, like very rare special talents that we're not going to see very often in this sport. Now this guy, you could put him in there with the top 10 guy right now, a top five, even put him in for a title shot. Shoot this guy to the moon. No one would question it. I just don't know if we've seen anything like this. There's really, I mean, there's really hasn't been questions. Like there were earlier on, like, oh, we'll see what happens when you fight somebody else. Then he goes out there and just bolts Gerald Mearshar, which that was one of the holy shit moments of my MMA watching career. Because I thought Hamzat was going to win that fight, but I also thought Gerald was going to be very, <laughs> yeah. But I thought Gerald was going to make things at least somewhat interesting for him. Like maybe Hamzat would take him down. There'd be some scrambles. Hamzat would get his back and submit him. I did not think Hamzat was going to go in there and throw one punch and knock him dead. I just didn't see that coming. And then what he did to Lee Jingliang was even more impressive. So I'm, I'm curious, how can you compare? Is there anybody you could compare Hamzat to that you have seen come up in the UFC and have this much success so quickly and so emphatically and so dominant. I mean, the stats alone are just ridiculous. Yep. Uh, to me, I think there's only really one guy who makes sense. And there are some others. I, Connor, as you mentioned, but Connor had already taken some losses. Um, Habib didn't really start that strong. He came in very strong, but, you know, it, he wasn't making this sort of impression. To me, the guy I've always uh, connected him with. And uh, unfortunate that he's been in the news for other reasons lately. Uh, but Cain Velasquez is the one, is the comp who makes the most sense. Because the minute I saw one, like Hamza, Kane had this sort of mythical talk from the coaching staff around him. I mean, we've been hearing about Hamza for a while, about what this guy, this Swedish fighter who's training at All-Stars, what he's going to do when he gets his chance. And Cain Velasquez was the exact same way. Javier Mendez... Had, had was like out on the record saying this dude like i know people say this but like literally the first guy day this guy walked in the gym was like yeah you're gonna be heavyweight champion of the world um and he came in and just beat the brakes off everybody in the ufc like he was the best heavyweight in the world almost his first day in the ufc uh and i distinctly remember thinking that like when kane rolled in it was like oh yeah that's the dude um, he's, he's going to beat ass until he gets the title. That's just, that's just what's going to happen. And he did. And then obviously the JDS thing, and then his career took some, some awkward steps. And I think that that's totally possible with Hamza because MMA is a really weird sport, et cetera. But to me, like he, 
Kane has been the the best comp for him because as soon as I saw him fight, I was like, yeah, that guy, that guy's a real real problem. Um, and it it's a it's a question of when, uh, not you know if with him. And I, I feel the same way and uh, about Hamza and, but similarly, you know, careers can be derailed very quickly. I, there's a lot of questions I have about Hamza, not his fighting thing, but the stories you hear about him. Let's just say they don't lead to long-term success in the sport. You can't train like that all the time, and your body won't betray you very rapidly. Uh, and so I, that's concerning. But you know what doesn't concern me, Mike? Gilbert Burns. <laughs> Gilbert Burns does not concern me whatsoever. I'm such man. He is going <laughs> to run him. He is going to rinse Gilbert. It is... I think it's the it, if Gilbert Burns wins, and I know this is a hot take, and I swear to you, listeners, this is not because I'm trying to get you all mad or riled up. Legitimately, if Gilbert Burns wins, it will be the biggest upset on the card to me. Like I do not see a path to victory, and I wrote paths to victory this week on this fight. <laughs> uh, I felt. I felt Gilbert got a little rattled up there today. I felt there's one fighter who got a little bit rattled with the pressure. It was Gilbert Burns because he is not a trash talker. The only time he's ever really gotten frustrated and angry and talked a little crap is when he was just trying to make his way up. He's on that winning streak at 170. He was trying to get a big fight. But, you know, the tired Woodleys of the world, those guys... They didn't view Gilbert as like a star or anything like that. So it was one of those like sort of like Marab-esque fights where the risk-reward factor was not in the favor of, of reward. It was more in the favor of risk. And he ended up getting the fights that he wanted, but Hamzat got it out of him t- today. And he was getting, he was talking a little smack to Hamzat. I thought the line that really got Burns a little flustered up there was when Hamzat Shemaev said, I'm more Brazilian than you are. And Gilbert didn't like that very much. He was not a fan of that comment at all. Uh, what did you think of, of what did you think of Gilbert's I guess performance at the press conference? I don't know if performance is the right word, but what did you think of his demeanor throughout? I was a little surprised that he was firing back at Hamza. I thought they were just gonna goof around and have some fun, especially after watching that video, but it seemed like Burns got a little bit heated as that press conference went on. I think he knows he's gonna lose. That's 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 just it. Like I don't Fighters are not afraid to get their asses beat. Again, it's their job. They do it all the time. But, and they all have to believe that they're the best fighter in the world to do their job. Like, everybody says it all the time. But they know. In the same way that people largely know when someone's full of crap and trying to sell them a bill of goods, like, fighters just, you know. And maybe you think you see something on tape or something you can exploit. But I think he knows. Like he, they had some interactions and for whatever you think of Hamzat, that man is not putting on airs. That man is not, there ain't a bit of false confidence or fake bravado in him. That is all to the bone. Like he believes to his core, that there is not a person alive that he can't whip the absolute tar out of. And whatever Gilbert believes he knows for a fact that there are people alive who can whip the tar out of him and, you know, ran into this dude with 
unwavering confidence in the hotel and was like, holy shit, I'm 35. That guy's eight years younger than me and way bigger than me and way stronger than me. And he's probably going to beat my ass tomorrow and I'm going to have to take it and I'm going to do the things I can and maybe he won't. I'm a professional fighter. I'm really good. But I just, I think some part of him knows and that's, there's, it's just hard. It's just a hard thing to come to grips with. So I don't know why this has become, I mean, I understand because we kind of saw it on the scales on fight Island. It was a little, things got a little dicey, but it, it ultimately worked out. I've had like two or three different people that are in this fight game. Some, a couple of managers. I even had a coach ask me this. If for some reason, Hamzat Shemaev misses weight tomorrow. If you're Gilbert Burns, do you say no to this fight? Do you just say, F it, I'm not fighting this dude? Absolutely. I mean, I I am on the record as saying that I don't think weight matters all that much in MMA. Um, and I know that that's also a hot take, but I, I think it matters, but I think it matters substantially less than everyone cares about. Uh, but in this instance, if he's not coming all the way correct you should absolutely pass on this fight because Gilbert Burns is just not big. Like Gilbert Burns is a lightweight. He is maybe a tweener. Like maybe he's that in between, you know, optimal lightweight welterweight, but like he is not a big welterweight and Hamza Chmaev is an enormous welterweight who will probably compete at 205 before his career is done. Like if you're getting, if he's coming in and can't make 171, I would pass on this fight all day. I don't think Gilbert will because I think Gilbert, badass dude. Like, the fact that he accepted this fight in the first place, that's some hard man shit right there and nothing but respect to him for it. And I think he'll take the 20% of, of Jemiah's purse and walk away, but he should take it. He should be like, oh, you didn't make weight. Yeah, you're not a professional. I am, so I'm going to move on to new business. True or false? If Hamza Shemaev does what you think he's going to do on Saturday night to Gilbert Burns, is Leon Edwards just effed? Is he just out of the title fight? Dude, I told you this a month ago. Uh, but I just want to see if you still stand here now, because every time I bring this up, people are saying, oh, Leon's definitely getting the fight. But I don't... I haven't seen an announcement. All I've heard is a is a balder, richer man than I say that it's happening, but he's also said things that have happened that, that didn't end up happening. And, like, you know the first question he's going to get at that press conference is, are we still doing the Leon fight? Like, if you, are, if you are paradigm management, if you are Leon's manager right now, are you on the phone with Hunter Campbell, staying up, having a marathon phone call until you get a pen to paper to sign a contract? Because... I think he's I think he's screwed. I think he's screwed and the story of Leon Edwards not getting a title shot is just a, it's just it's just crazy. It's wild. And I know how you feel about Leon. I'm sure you're going to tell it again, but come on. At this point like it's just every single every single obstacle that this man every single obstacle you could face at this point, he has faced to not get a title fight and this would just be another one and it'd be a travesty because you've had all this time to get this fight on the books at least something in writing something that you could sign that says hey maybe we might have a date but the pen is is here we're signing it that it's a guarantee it is a lock damn it that i'm fighting for the title and the fact that we haven't heard any announcements at all 
it tells me it tells me the UFC is not sure. In fact, they're not going to do it. <laughs> it tells me the UFC is very sure, Mike. I told you this a month ago, man. Like Leon needed to get it done. I didn't know what he needed to do, but before this fight happened, he needed to get a signed contract. And even then, even then, he wouldn't have been safe because the UFC would always just tear it up. Like they don't care. <laughs> and He's done. If you're his management, you can't call Hunter Campbell and be like, hey, I'm going to beg. Like, there's the UFC is not even going to take the phone call. If you are Leon Edwards or his family member or loved one or his management, the only thing you can do is go Nancy Kerrigan Hobbs backstage on Saturday. That's the only option you have. Or hope. Hope beyond. There is no bigger Gilbert Burns fan <laughs> in the entire world right now than Leon Edwards. You have to hope because you are not getting it. If Hamzat goes, if Hamzat goes and wins, if he just wins, he's getting it. But if he goes and does the thing that he is probably going to do to Gilbert Burns and you go and ask that other bald gentleman, Hey, what are we doing? Is this, where's that? He's gonna be like, yeah, well, you know, Oh, uh, that ship turned right back around. Uh, how do you deny Hamzat after this? Like, yeah, let's go. And we're talking Hamzat uh, versus Usman, you know, in the fall. Maybe late summer. Probably fall, but maybe late summer. So, yeah, Leon screwed. And as I've said many times, I don't feel bad for him. Um, be, be more interesting and better things will happen to you. Okay, so here's, here's how I think this is going to play out. And I haven't changed my stance on this since since the Leon Edwards Nate Diaz actually since Kamara Usman beat Colby Covington in November my stance has not changed on this and I still think this is what is going to happen I think Hamza is going to beat Gilbert Burns Leon Edwards will not be fighting Kamara Usman next for the welterweight championship Kamara Usman's going to take some more time off maybe come back end of the year October November they're going to do Hamza versus Leon Edwards for an interim title that's what I think is going to happen. Because they need some... They have two pay-per-views to fill in July, right? And I don't know if Usman's going to be back. Because I think if, if he was back, we would know about it. We would at least know that he's going to be on one of those cards. And it seems like it's 50-50 that that happens. If they cannot get... If they can't get Usman for July or August, I could absolutely see the UFC pulling a trigger on a fight like this. Because it gets Leon's title shot. You're checking off that box. You get Hamzad in, a, in another big fight in a relatively quick turnaround because this would be three months. You get him right back in there in a huge fight. You can even headline with Hamzat with the. I mean, just look at the goddamn numbers that this man is producing this week in terms of, you know, clicks and and YouTube views and and all of that. The dude is a star. So I think there's a very good chance that everybody gets what they want. Leon will get his title fight, but it just will be in an interim nature. And it'll be against Hamzat Shemaev. And I actually think that's the that's the fight to make anyways. Like, if Hamzat goes in there and, as you say, rinse, it rinses Gilbert Burns, just do that fight. Like, do that fight because whatever happens in that fight, when they go on to fight Kamara Usman, no matter who wins, that fight's even bigger now. Like, we're not just rushing dudes in there. Like, if, if Hamzat has a title and just destroys Leon Edwards and ends the 10-fight winning streak... The fight with Usman is bigger. And if somehow Leon Edwards beats Hamzat Shemaev, the thing that you say wait has has kept him back, the quote-unquote nobody cares about Leon Edwards talk, I don't think it goes away forever, but it takes a step back, doesn't it? 
I don't know. I think that this is not a bad scenario, right? Uh, and it, certainly if Usman isn't ready to fight or he's going to be out for a little bit, uh, that probably makes a lot of sense. To me, I've honestly just been operating, and you have a lot more information on these sorts of things always. So, you know, grain of salt. I've just been operating that Hamzat's going to get the next title fight, and Leon Edwards is going to fight Jorge Masvidal because – that will also theoretically make him more interesting. There's a baked-in storyline there. I know Jorge's got his own issues going on, but those aren't those are very unlikely to keep him out for a prolonged period of time. And so, uh, you need someone for Jorge. They can finally pull the trigger, punch that ticket, uh, and then when Leon wins that fight, if he wins that fight, uh, great. You've now built him as best you can to be a title challenger. And if he loses, hey. Great, you got rid of the Leon Edwards problem, and Jorge got a win. So that's just how I've been operating. But especially if Usman's not going to be ready to go, I could see them doing an interim title fight. Um, yeah, and I'd be fine with it. And it's a good fight. Like that's that's a fight I'm, I won't say intrigued by. I also think Hamzat would win that fight, but I think Leon Edwards presents a much more interesting challenge than Gilbert Burns does. Yeah, I, I like I like the idea. Usman has been one of your more active champions the last couple of years. The guy wants to spend time with his family. He's talked about it many times. Maybe he can go out and do interviews and call for this Canelo fight that he will never, ever, ever, ever get. Uh, but at or least, yeah, at or least his big, at least his next fight, no matter what, is is bigger. He either fights Leon coming off of a win over Hamzat freaking Shemaev, or he fights Hamzat as the interim champion after running through Gilbert Burns and Leon Edwards in back-to-back fights, which makes that fight way more interesting. And it shuts up. It, it, it stops the conversation of, well, you got to beat a ranked guy. Well, you just beat two incredibly high ranked fighters back to back. There's no doubt. And it's just a massive fight. So I dig it. We'll see what happens. I think if the UFC will, if Usman's ready in July, that's the international fight. You do Usman versus Hamzat. That's your, that's your international fight week capper right there. That's the last fight you see at international fight week. You should probably want to do. Usman should want to fight Shemaev sooner rather than later. Yeah. Because he's getting older and it ain't getting better for him. So if I'm Usman, I'm trying to fight Hamzat as soon as possible because I'm only fighting him the once. There's no world in which these two guys fight multiple times. Uh, just based on Usman's age and kind of where he's at in his career. So I'm trying to get that one and done in real quick before we get like full form Tremayev. Last thing we will move on. We're going to, by the way, we're going to be talking about like all of this stuff in, in different ways, different angles, more in depth. You're going to hear the interview I did with John Anik is now live on YouTube. It's live on the podcast. Network, so you can check that out. I'll be talking to, I believe I'll be talking to Laura Sanko tomorrow. So you get her insight on this card uh, and some other folks as well. So we'll, we'll talk obviously the three big fights, but not the low key banger. I'm sure we'll save that for the preview show. Jen Mishu. Um What's the fight of the night? Like if they give a fight of the night bonus, what are you thinking it's going to be? Oh man. Um, that Ian Gary Darian Weeks, maybe. I don't know. That's a really interesting question. Um, actually, it probably is like Julio Arce. <laughs> that fight is gonna be like, that insane. probably should be the money line favorite for fight of the night. Um, because the rest of it, I mean, eh, I'll say Volkanovski, Chan Sung Jung, actually, just because 
five round fights do have a pretty decided advantage in fight of the night battles. Um, I could see that one being close and competitive and fun for stages. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that, but, uh, I had not thought about that question at all as I'm looking over this card. Uh, it's really interesting. Very curious how these fights are made. And I'm starting to see why I'm not like, this is a solid B card, but I'm starting to see why I'm not like geared up for it. Cause it's like, Oh, a lot of these fights are good. Not many of them are exciting. I'm going to go and Atlantic Vanderop. Uh, 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 uh. Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> it will not be either of the heavyweight fights. I have a feeling where we could be in for a couple, a uh, couple of fifteen-minute battles there. Arce Santos is really good. I just, I think what what hurts that fight as good as I think it's going to be is that it's so early in the card and there's going to be a bunch of crazy shit that happens along the way. Vince Pichel, Marco Matson stands out to me. And I think it will be the leader in the clubhouse until Sterling and Jan fight. What? I think that's going to be the fight of the night. I think Jan... So here's here's how I think it's going to go. I think we're, I think we're going to have an exciting fight. There's going to be some great clips. But it's going to be like... It's going to be like when Zabit Magomed Sharapov fought Kyle Bokniak. <laughs> it's going <gonna, laughs> to be... Zabit is like the best example here. Yeah, it, it's it's gonna Ten be like minutes, that, baby. That's all I got. Yeah, like he's just gonna go. Like Sterling, they're gonna get after it. Like they're gonna go in there and get after it, and they're both gonna land, and they're both gonna be bloody. But Jan is probably going to win like a forty nine forty six decision, maybe a fifty forty five. But it's gonna be fun. And Sterling's gonna take a ass whooping, and he's gonna keep coming, and he's gonna have moments where you think he might turn the tide a little bit. Like I think. That's how I think this fight's going to go. I think Jan's going to win. I think Sterling might win the first round, might even win the second. And then things are going to get, and then Jan's going to start going. And then Jan's going to turn things around, and Sterling's going to fight back. And I think the fifth round, probably like the final minute of that fight, is going to be absolute chaos. And I think that's what we're going to go out of that fight remembering. But I think Jan wins a comfortable decision. It's not going to be anything where that's going to be up for debate. But I think we're going to be, it's going to be one of those fights where even though Aljo has said what he has said, and he has talked what he has talked and everything in the build and the way he won the title and the way he has done everything. I think, I don't think all will be forgiven, but I think his stock will rise even in defeat. That's the kind of fight I see. And Piotr Jan will just prove and take another step towards being one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. I just think he's that good, but I think Sterling could make things, could make things interesting for sure. Uh, and I think it's going to be a fun fight. I think it's going to be a good capper, at least for now, for this rivalry. And I think coming out of this, even though Jan will win a comfortable decision, I think it's going to be something where there might even be conversation about, like, let's just run this shit back a third time right now. I don't think that's what happens because Bantamweight is so deep and you can't hold it up anymore. But I, I could see fans being like, you know what, that was so fun. Each guy's got to win. Like, let's just go. Let's just do it again. Man, new Prince of Positivity here. That's a... Uh... Not at all what I'm anticipating, but I hope I hope you're right because that's a much better fight than mine. I think Sterling's going to blow blow his wad in the first five to seven minutes. I think he's carrying so much anger and unresolved aggression that he is trying in vain to say, I'm not mad, I swear, I think it's funny, but he's actually just livid and he's going to get in there and he's going <laughs> to... He's like, he's the most obvious, I'm not mad, I just think it's funny guy, maybe in the history of the sport right now. 
and he's going to get in there. He's going to see red. He's going to try and he's just going to empty the tank immediately. And all of this talk about, well, you know, I, my diet failed me or what I didn't fuel the tank. Right. Going into that first fight. And I do have the cardio to match him. He's like, hey, he's going to realize I just don't. <laughs> he's, I think he's going to win the first round by purely doing everything he can. Uh, and then Jan's just going to start savaging him up for a late TKO fourth or fifth round. I'm very excited for this card. It's It's got that feel to it that it's, it, it's got that feel like this is one you're not going to want to miss. So I, I just like, especially the main card. I, I think the main card obviously it's just a really good one, and it's going to be one of those ones where anyone who sits on the fence and jumps over back in your yard but not over into the other yard where things are more fun, a little more complicated, a little more expensive, I think if you jump back on the other side and don't spend the money, you're going to be pissed at the end of the day when everyone's talking about it and we're knocking out post-fight shows at 4.30 in the freaking morning and there's 15,000 people watching it, Jed Mishu, I think... uh I think those people are going to be like, damn it, I should have bought the damn pay-per-view. This has one of those those vibes to it, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, I hope you're right. I I could see it going that way. But if you can't, if, you know, if 70, the, the pay-per-views are expensive, Mike. They are no longer cheap. If you can't, true. I understand, uh, because I'll be honest, I can't buy all the pay-per-views, but for the fact that I work in the industry and have to as part of my job. Uh, so if you can't, you know what you can do, Mike? What can you do? You can go to MMAfighting.com, the best website in the entire <laughs> world. Number one website in the entire world, MMAfighting.com. Bookmark it. Go ahead and save it. You can go there uh, because this weekend we're going to have you covered with everything. You, my, my esteemed colleague, are on site. You and Jose Young's going to be going to be delivering the goods from cage side and beyond backstage. And uh, the rest of us, the rest of us heathens will be mixing it up just, you know, with everything else you need. So if you can't afford it, if you know, you're going to pass, you're going to watch the Masters or F1 or whatever, just tune in to MMAfighting.com. We got you covered, baby. <laughs> the greatest website in the world. Uh, greatest website in the world. So that is it. I will say this only because I don't know when this will actually go live, I assume. So right now is we're about to stop the show. It's 830 Eastern time. I'm going to say this baby's going to go live around 10.30 Eastern time when it's all said and done. So when you, so you got this, all right? And then tomorrow, 8 a.m., Twitter spaces, heck of a morning. It's going to be like a weigh-in show, pregame show kind of thing. So like literally right before the morning weigh-in start, we're going to knock out a heck of a morning and take your calls and get you all fired up. Then AK is going to take over the heck of a morning with you. What's that? Is Jose Young's going to be on heck of a morning with you? He might make an appearance. Who knows? I mean, we had freaking Ally Quinta show up and talk about open scoring. You never know what's going to happen. And Al wants to be on the show. I actually saw him. We were going to try to do something after the press conference. Just couldn't make it happen. So uh, I will try to get something with with Rage and Al this week. We're we're working on it. So stay tuned for that. Maybe he jumps on. You never know who's going to show up on Heck of a Morning. So that's why you join us live. And if not, we have you covered. It'll be on the podcasting network soon after. All right. Then we get the weigh-in show. AK Lee hosting. Uh, Jose and I will be there. I think I'll be chiming in with my thoughts. Uh, AK, Casey, etc. It should be a lot of fun. Then we have a preview show. I believe that's going down live at 2 Eastern time uh, before the ceremonial weigh-ins, which goes down at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And then uh, just lots of stuff going on. I believe I was speaking with Laura Sanko before the ceremonial weigh-ins. 
Uh, I have something very fun planned for tomorrow evening that I think you guys will dig. And then Saturday, it's off to the races. All your coverage, everything you need is at the greatest website in the world, which is what, Jed Mishu? It's MMAfighting.com. Not .net, not .gov. MMAfighting.com, the greatest website in the world. That's right. But until then, everybody, we are done. Back to the normal BTL slate next week. It'll be... We're trying to figure it out. I think I think we're leaning a grudge match of sorts. Jose Youngs wants a piece of GC. He's been calling him out. He's been saying some, some not-so-nice things on Twitter. That's a matchup we may get. I don't know. You never know what's going to happen on this show, but you'll find out next Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern, live in the MMA Fighting YouTube channel. Once again, between the links. For Jed Mishu, I am Mike Heck. Good night, everybody. Love you, Jack. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.